We often marvel on Sunday mornings how God orchestrates and intertwines all the different parts of the service. Uh, we marvel, and sometimes I find humor in how God puts things together. And, and this morning, I got up quite early, and it was pitch black outside, uh, and I thought, for sure, it's not going to snow, it's not going to be an ice storm. So I just checked the weather, and don't you know it, there's an advisory. Uh, and if you knew what I was talking about this morning, you'll get the humor in this, but you'll get it eventually. Uh, the weather statement was a severe fog advisory uh, calling for near zero visibility. Uh, and so I just thought, God, knowing what I was going to talk about this morning, uh, he's got a great sense of humor. And fortunately, we didn't have the fog. But talking about weather, I was uh, at uh, Allison's dad's place last night uh, for a meal. And it was raining, and we were talking about how much it was raining. And uh, I said to uh, Nancy, at least it's not snow. And I was thinking, you know, there's the two probably worst scenarios that I can think of being in. One... Uh, which I just experienced a few weeks ago up in Bancroft, is hitting the brakes on a slippery road and knowing that you're not going to stop. That's a horrible feeling. But even worse is finding yourself uh, in a snow squall, in a blizzard, where you can't see anything. And uh, it was only about the, the couple of days that week we had that really snowy, blowing, freezing rain uh, day after day. And uh, the one morning... I looked outside, and it was pitch black, but I could tell it was really blowing, and it was really snowing, and Lauren had to go to work, and she's done fantastic this winter, her first winter driving uh, in her own car, but I said to her, are you sure? It looks nasty out there, and she's coming from Pontypool into Peterborough, Uh, and so, no, she's determined she is fine, and so she leaves, and it seemed like it was maybe five or six minutes later, I get a panicked phone call from Lauren. Dad, I have no idea where I am. I don't know what to do. I can't see nothing. And I'm absolutely panicked. I'm going, Lauren, don't come to a stop. I haven't, she's on the 115 is what I'm thinking. And something is going to plow into, like, Lauren, you cannot stop, but you have to get your bearings, figure out where you are. It's get off the road and uh, you're going to have to try to get home. And so a couple of minutes later, I get another phone call. Dad, okay, I know where I am. I go, okay, she's not been hit. I go, okay, where were you? Did you find a, a, a road sign? Or <sighs> I'm at the O's. Now, you don't get that other than if you live in our street. The O's live three doors down from us. <laughs> and I'm going, you traveled 200 yards from our house, and you made that phone call, which aged me about 10 years. I said get back home. I'm the big man. I'm going to go out in my four-wheel drive pickup truck, and I'm going to show how easy it is to drive in these conditions. So she gets home, and I get in my truck, and uh, I back out of our laneway. And, and from our street, to, or sorry, from our house to the end of our street, which is where she was, it's probably, I guess, three or 400 yards. So it's, it's not like it was, you know, one dr- driveway after another. I, I had no clue where I was. Like, I literally started driving down the street. I didn't know what side of the road I was on. I was panicked that something was coming t- towards me. I didn't know where the O's driveway was. I didn't know if I was going to come to the end of the road. And if I go past the end of the road, I practically hit Matt and Tanya's house. And so I had no idea where I was. And so I had to maneuver my way in a circle and come back, limping my way in with my tail between my legs and saying, I couldn't do it either. 
Like until there's the light of day, you can't see a thing. It was like being in a dense fog and totally confusing and just making you feel totally uncertain. And uh, that's a horrible, horrible feeling. And, and I know by the expression of some of you that you've experienced that same feeling in that exact same situation, whether it's snow or, or whether it's fog. But it doesn't have to be just a physical fog. It can be a mental fog as well. And that's a horrible feeling. When all of a sudden everything becomes so confusing. Everything that's normal just seems to change. And you got questions and there's no answers. And you are totally feeling like your life has just gone out of balance. And you don't know how to respond. And all you can really do is like what Lauren, she calls dad, I'm so confused. I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what's going on. And when there's no answers to your questions and there's no clarity for your confusion, you just keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into this this horrible sensation of being confused and not knowing what's going on. And if you can feel that sense of that mental fog, then you can appreciate what the two travelers that Luke tells us about in Luke 24 are feeling as they're leaving Jerusalem that Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday morning, and heading back home. Because they are definitely in a fog. Everything that they thought they knew, everything that they thought that they believed in, had been swept away by the events of that weekend. And all they're left with is a dead Messiah and a shattered faith. Jesus has been crucified. He's been put into a tomb. And they're disappointed. Because Jesus did not end up being who they expected he would be. And they're kind of ticked at God. Because God still hasn't sent his promised Messiah. As far as they're concerned, all hope is gone. And so they're licking their wounds, they're throwing in the towel, and they're heading back home. And they don't even care what these crazy women have been talking about. They don't want to even hear these ludicrous uh, conversations about a tomb being empty and, and angels. A dead Messiah was not part of their theology. And with a dead Messiah, there was no Messiah. And so off they went home. We find this account in in all the Gospels, but the one we're going to look at this morning uh, is Luke. These two travelers totally haven't given up hope, head on their way home, not realizing that it's on that very path home that they were going to encounter Jesus himself. You know, as we go through this account this morning, the question I think Luke wants us to ask is this. What lifted the fog? What caused their confusion to clear up? What is it that convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had risen from the dead? And I know most of you know the story. And it would seem that the obvious answer is, well, Jesus appeared to them. Like, what an easy way to believe in Jesus. Boy, I would have a really strong belief if Jesus would just show up right beside me while I'm driving to work. But if you know the story, that's not how the story goes. And what might seem like a real bizarre focus for Luke 
in his post-resurrection account, and he devotes quite a bit of space to it. We're going to see that Jesus actually hides his identity from these two travelers because he wants them to be convinced and come to the conviction of who he is and what he's accomplished through a proper, proper understanding of Scripture. This morning, we're, we're ending this mini-series that we did, uh, this Windows on Easter. I think it was yesterday morning at, at the breakfast table, Allison had said something to Graham about, you know, about reading the Easter story. And, and Graham's comments, I've read it so many times. You know, that's, that's how a lot of us feel, right? Like, this story is so familiar. Like, even today, we, we heard a lot of this at, at breakfast before we ate pancakes. And now you've heard a lot of it repeated again. And I'm going to repeat it again. The story becomes very familiar. And over-familiarity sometimes taints our appreciation of what Jesus did and, and why he did it and, and what it means for us. And so what we've been trying to do over these last number of weeks is to get a fresh look at the Easter story by looking at, looking at it through the eyes or the, the perspective, through the, through the windows of some of these characters who are actually there. And so we have seen the window of surprise. We've seen the window of sin. We've seen the window of significance. Yesterday, sorry, on Friday, Ben looked at the Easter story through the window of grief and sorrow. Today, we're going to look through what is, at the beginning, quite a foggy, dirty window. You know what it's like to look through a dirty window? It's hard to see truly what's happening on the other side. But as we go through the account of these two travelers on the road to Emmaus, we're going to see the window become crystal clear. But before it becomes crystal clear, Jesus wants to teach these two travelers a lesson. And by extension, wants to teach us a lesson as well. That our discouragement, that our confusion can become hope, can become clarity as we seek the risen Savior by faith through his written word. And that's why we have concentrated a lot this morning on reading the account of what took place that first uh, Easter weekend. If you've got your Bible or if you've got a pew Bible in front of you, why don't you turn to it and we're going to be looking at Luke 24, uh, beginning at verse 13. So go ahead and turn. And if you've got a pew Bible there and you'd, if you'd read out the number, that would be perfect. 749. So 749 in the pew Bible. And I don't know what number it is in your own personal Bible. Luke 24. Now the praise team has already given us a little bit of background reading. The women have gone to the tomb. They've brought some spices with them. They're expecting to find the body in the tomb and the stone in front of the tomb. And they get there and the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. They have no idea what's going on. Then the angels appear to them and say, like, what are you looking for? He's risen, just like he said. Go tell the disciples. And, and off they go to tell the disciples. And the disciples think they're crazy. So that's the background to where we are right now. And something very important to note from that background reading. All of them were surprised that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples, the woman, these travelers, no one expected or anticipated that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And that tells us that even his closest followers had to be convinced 
that Jesus rose from the dead. These weren't just gullible followers of Jesus who believed that he'd risen from the dead and then went all over like crazy people preaching this gospel about a risen Savior. No, they had to be convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. But here's, to me, what a very, uh, it's a message all in itself. The fact that these people who were not convinced, who didn't expect it, who didn't anticipate it, and yet became convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead and then preached a gospel of a risen Savior and willing to die for it. That's a powerful message. And so we come to uh, verse 13 of chapter 24, and we read, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in those days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. I love this story. It's a story I love preaching on. It's one of those stories that we know more than the characters do. And we want to shout out to them, it's Jesus who's walking alongside the path with you. But they don't get it. It's kind of like, and I've shared this with you before, undercover boss. Or those YouTube videos of undercover celebrity or, or undercover sports celebrity or, or, or singer where people have no clue who it is that's actually with them. And we enjoy it because it's humorous and we anticipate what's going to happen. And we love the reveal when the person undercover reveals themselves. But these two travelers, they have no clue that this is Jesus. They're walking along, they're going home to Emmaus and Jesus, appearing as a stranger, comes walking alongside them. And they didn't recognize him. He looked and acted just like any typical stranger who would have walked and came over to them and tried to join in the conversation. Nothing really stood out except for one thing. Jesus seemed really clueless. Like, is he the only person who doesn't know what's going on and has gone on? Like, either he's a little slow or he's been totally asleep at the wheel. And regardless of where Jesus says he's going to, because he made it sound like he was going past a mass, regardless of where he was going to, these two travelers were going home. As far as they were concerned, everything was gone. Their hopes, their dreams, their expectations, their, their aspirations were shattered. There was no reason for them to stay in Jerusalem anymore. 
how could they have been so foolish to believe that this Jesus was the Messiah? How could things have gone so horribly wrong? And Luke tells us that as they're walking along the path, they're deliberating with each other and and they're talking about the the events of the, the past week and they're trying to figure out where did the train go off the tracks? Like it was just Monday and Jesus came into town so triumphantly and the crowds were were hailing him as the son of David and they were singing hosannas to the Messiah. And on Tuesday, he cleared the temple. And on Wednesday, he took command of the temple. What powerful preaching it was. But on Friday, they arrested him. And they put him on trial. What a mockery of a trial it was. And then they beat him. And they made him carry a part of the cross. And they crucified him. And they buried buried him in a tomb. How foolish they felt. That they had come and they'd stayed through all that. And this is how it ended. Well, then Jesus comes up to them and so what are you talking about? It's kind of like one of those undercover musicians who's in a car with somebody who doesn't know that they're a famous singer and they start humming one of their famous songs and the other person starts singing along and say, oh, you knew that song too? And they you know, talk about this song as if you know, it's some unknown, or not unknown person, but some person who's not in the car with them. And, and uh, we laugh at it because oh, no, that's their song. They've made it famous. And here's Jesus walking up to these two. So what are you talking about? I can just imagine the, the face of these travelers like, like, they're sad and, and, and they're gloomy, but they've got to be amazed. Like, really, you're asking what we're talking You don't know the things that have taken place? And I don't know if it was for the travelers to, to humor Jesus by answering his question, or, or probably it was them seeing the concern and the interest in this stranger's face. But they go on to answer his question. So, and they explain that they'd, they had really put their put their trust and, and hope in this guy named Jesus, that, that he was the promised Messiah, but he's been put to death. And so they realize that he, 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 he's probably nothing but a, a, another prophet who's come and has, who's, who's given us God's word, but, but now he's dead. But I think the crux of the matter is verse 21. Verse 21, the traveler says, but we had hoped. That's where the shoe pinches. They had put their hope and their expectations and their dreams in this person named Jesus and he had let them down. He had disappointed them. I think we all can relate to that. We know what it's like to be disappointed, to be let down. And when things don't go the way we think things should go, that's when we doubt. That's when we turn away from Jesus. And the traveler said, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. They thought Jesus was going to be the liberator. He was going to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans and he was going to set up his throne right then and there and and he was going to sit on it and he was going to establish a kingdom right now 
They killed him. All their hopes had been put in Jesus, and all of that had been torn away because of a horrible cross. And so now, this is when we expect the big reveal. This is when Jesus is going to go, okay, you know what, guys, it's me. Look. That's not how it goes. Let's keep reading. Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And so Jesus turns the table on these travelers. And I'm assuming you brought this up so I would drink it. Get rid of the cotton. Jesus turns the table on these travelers. They thought he was the fool because he didn't know what was going on, but he rebukes them for their foolishness and their, their spiritual dullness. That, that they hadn't believed all that the prophets and the scriptures had said about him because if they just opened their eyes and their ears, they would have heard what the, uh, what the prophets had said. And they would have seen that all that was taking place is exactly what was supposed to happen to the promised Messiah. But their window was foggy. And they didn't see it. And so Jesus proceeds to give them some heavy-duty schooling. A, a, an Old Testament survey about himself, about the Messiah. And Luke doesn't really tell us what's included. He gives us some clues. But we can just imagine. And I'm sure some of the themes that Jesus would have focused on as he, he, he brings to life what the scriptures fully have to say about him, the promised Messiah, some of those themes would have been themes that were very fresh in those travelers' minds because they just celebrated Passover. They would have known about sin and its horrible consequences. That sin separates us from from God, and that without forgiveness of sin, without the removal of guilt, there can be not a right relationship with God. And so some of those themes would have been talking about the need for a substitute, the need for a redeemer to pay the price that's owed, the, the theme of forgiveness requiring a blood sacrifice. And Jesus would have summarized all that and pointed to the fact that the Old Testament promised that God was going to provide a person, someone that could bring all those themes together in a perfect way. And the Old Testament called that person the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one who would be the Savior, the one who would be the Deliverer. And if we took the time, we could go through all sorts of texts that show the Old Testament speaking about the need for a Messiah, how the Messiah would crush the serpent's head, this Messiah who would be, would be the one who could deal with the separation in a perfect way between a sinner and a holy God. And I'm sure Jesus pointed to some of the Old Testament scriptures that prophesied the very exact things that took place that week that these travelers would have been very familiar with. And I can just imagine how stunned and how amazed those travelers must have been 
at the teaching of this stranger. In fact, in verse 32, it says that their hearts were on fire. Their hearts were burning inside of them because they were overwhelmed with joy. The scriptures are true. Jesus is the Messiah. God's plan is unfolding just like the Old Testament prophets said that it would. Jesus is alive. They still don't know who this stranger is. What's causing that fire inside? It isn't Jesus himself because they don't know Jesus is in their presence. What's causing that burning inside is that they finally fully understand scripture. And to understand scripture for them meant that they knew God. And they knew that what was happening was just like the scripture said it was going to be. That God's purposes were unfolding. That God was sovereign. That his plans were going to be accomplished. And they found that exhilarating. So much so that they didn't want this stranger to leave. They wanted the stranger to stay with them. And that's the power of God's word. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we can do for a person is to help them understand scripture. I find it extraordinary that God spoke creation into being by his word. That he has most clearly revealed himself through the living word, Jesus. And that even today, he speaks to us through his written word. And if you were to talk to someone who works, for instance, for the Gideons, the people that place Bibles in hotels and other places, to just share just a few of the countless stories that they could share of how the power of God has taken a person sitting in a hotel room wanting to take their life and yet have opened up that scripture and have found comfort. Or those who have been on the brink of divorce and yet have committed to go through scripture and have found themselves even to save, able to save their marriage. How God's word has crossed all racial barriers, all cultural divides, and has reached the hearts of people across the world. How the power of God's word can take those who are so far from God, those who have committed the greatest of sins, and yet they can open God's word and find an offer of forgiveness and have their life changed and their life transformed. That's the power of God's word. And that is God's written word that he has given to us to reveal himself and his plan and his gospel to us. It's a powerful, powerful word. But now it's time for Jesus to reveal himself to the travelers. And as we get to the end of the story, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So Jesus, who they thought kind of was a little bit of a fool, ended up showing them that they were foolish. Then he goes into their house and no longer is he the stranger. He kind of takes on the role of the host. And he takes the bread and he breaks the bread. And it's at that moment, the two travelers realize it's Jesus. And we don't know what it is that caused them to recognize him, whether the scales just fell from their eyes or whether it was the the nail pierced hands that were breaking the bread or, or maybe they recognized Jesus's prayer. But they realized Jesus, the Messiah, the risen savior, was right in their very home with them. And then poof, he disappeared. But so excited were they that Jesus had risen that they had to go and tell the others. And off they went to share the great news with those who already knew the great news. He's risen. He's risen. 